0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach at Yorkshire Carnegie, Josh Darrell-Jones. Hi guys, welcome to the Pacing Performance Podcast, thanks for tuning in. So we're on episode 36 now, still getting lots of love for the podcast, so really appreciate that. So today we've got Josh Darrell Jones coming from Yorkshire Carnegie. So the reason I wanted to get Josh on was because he's currently working with the Senior Academy, but he's also doing his PhD and has just published his first paper um, a couple months back. So I really wanted to get into the head of uh, Josh's head um, with regards to kind of his managing his time um, and and talking about his research that he's doing with the guys down at at Yosh Carnegie. So as well as that, we look at testing for academy players, which we link back into his PhD. Uh, What makes a a top-class rugby union academy player? and how testing has influenced his practice. Now, we talk a lot about Josh's PhD, which I've um, I've linked his his first paper in the show notes, so you can get that at forward slash 36. There's also a couple of other links that we mentioned, um, including Martin Bouchet's uh, 3015. So I've linked the audio on there as well, um, as well as the Excel spreadsheets that Josh mentions where you can um, can prescribe training off the back of off the back of the thirty fifteen test itself. So just before we get into the chat with Josh, just remind you that you can sign up to the Pace Performance podcast at the Pace Performance newsletter, which is on paceyperformance.co.uk, uh, and from there you'll get a monthly newsletter with all the different things that have been going on at Pace Performance, with regards to the podcast, the blog, and uh, a couple of events, a couple of events that are coming up. On the show notes I've also included a link to the South Yorkshire Performance Workshop which is going on on the 1st of July so if you're in the area and want to listen to Ross Burberry from Nottingham Forest uh, Paul Bauer from Barnsley Football Club and Luke Jenkinson from Sheffield United Football Club um, click on the link and get yourself down there on the 1st of July, so it's uh, it's from 6 till 9.30. So not only will it give you a chance to listen to these guys speak, but it'll give you a chance to mix with like-minded people and get a chance to, to chat with the three guys. Um, so if you're interested, get on the link and get yourself down. And before I talk anymore, here is the interview with Josh. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pasty Performance Podcast. So today I've got a guest coming from a little bit close to home than my new, usual guests. Uh, we've got Josh Darrell Jones coming from Leeds. So just before I get Josh to introduce himself and give us a little bit of introduction and a bio on it, on himself, just want to thank him for his time, um, giving his time up on a on a, a Thursday afternoon when he's got plenty to do, uh, as we'll as we'll find out. So welcome to the podcast, Josh.
1: Hi Rob, thanks for having me, mate. Um, right, ed- education. I came to Leeds ten years ago to do an undergrad. Didn't agree with it. Dropped out. Uh, worked in Leeds for a year. Traveled Australia for a year. Decided I have to pull my finger out. Go back to uni. Finish my undergrad. Got the bug. Did a master's in exercise physiology. Um, whilst there, did some did an internship with Brendan Chaplin. Um, Got some work down at what was Leeds Carnegie, which are now Yorkshire Carnegie, with their academy. Um, worked there for a year and then got uh, coerced, we shall say, into doing a PhD. They sort of my boss down at, at Carnegie had sort of set me up for a bit. Uh, we we we've been talking about whether or not we could do little studies with the academy players, similar to sort of Dan Baker. So it was, can we can we get them in and do? ABC with them in a session and and see if we can write a, a paper up out of it and, and get some actual practical research out from academy rugby players because there was none. Uh, and we've been chatting about that for a couple of weeks. Then one day he turns up and just says, do you, do you want to do a PhD? Um, and at first they didn't really want to, but... <laughs> Uh, in, in the end, probably I, re- I realized it was a good opportunity. It's it's another it's another three years working at the club with some very good young academy players, which which is what I like doing. So I enjoy the coaching, and it's just I suppose it's it's another string to the bow. Um, I think, like we discussed before we came on, I I don't know the way the industry is going. People seem to want more qualifications every time every time new jobs come out. So whether or not it's going to be Head of s c with a PhD in, in a few years, I don't know, but that's that sort of that's education. Um SNC wise, uh started started with a weightlifting club up at Leeds Met. Um did an internship with Brendan Chaplin up at the university. I think I was I was in charge of women's rugby. Um I did hockey as well. I did the MCCU cricket so they're like a high performance cricket center uh, i think up to i think there's six unis around the country so that's a combined leeds met and leeds uni and bradford uni cricket squad um and then we sort of everyone else dipped in and out of other people's other people's stuff so I, I did i think i did a little bit of netball i did some football briefly until they decided they didn't want to lift weights um and and that was about it for the met um i I knew the head of academy down at Leeds Carnegie at the time. It was Ben Jones because uh, I'd helped do some of the research for his PhD, and basically badgered him constantly for probably two years um, until one day he just rang me up and said, "Actually, I might I might have something for you. It's unpaid. it will be it'd be two evenings a week, so he'd probably doing four hours, and you'd be working with the the junior development squad, and they." I think the youngest ones we've had ever have been sort of 13, but they're generally 14 up to 16 years old. So that, that was my first in at the club Um went in there. There was maybe up to 30 of them at the time. And it was, it was purely movement competence work. So I'd, I'd just done a workshop with Calvin Giles, courtesy of Brendan, he'd come up to Leeds Met and he sort of laid out his whole philosophy, and if if you can't move well, what's the point in being really really strong? And it, I think everyone in the whole internship sort of something clicked with them there, um, and we all started looking at everyone's movement a little bit a little bit more and start probably regressing people a bit more. But I think that probably that set me up for that first gig at now Yorkshire Carnegie pretty well because you. Like you got kids turning up who can't can't touch their toes, can't do a bodyweight squat. So it was it was it was pretty challenging. It was get them moving. And if you can load them at some point, it's gonna be very minimal, but get them moving so when they progress onto the junior academy, which is sixteen to eighteen, we can actually do something with them and start getting them strong and powerful. And then I did that for I did that for about eighteen months. Um, and they had a senior academy group at the time as well, which was sort of the guys post post eighteen who were either still training at the club uh, but playing elsewhere, so either Otley or Wharfedale. Um, and these guys, these guys would do first team training as well, but weren't sort of first team players. So we had a we had a senior academy, and I sort of ended up going in and assisting with that, and then. Got given the senior academy role, which has sort of grown quite a lot since I started. I think we had six guys the first year I was there, and this year we've had fifteen. And then, yeah, that's 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 my that's my coaching history to date.
0: I'm afraid. Cool. So the the movement competency that you spoke about. Do you want to? I mean, it's a nice, quite nice term. But do you want to just give us a little rundown on what that included? In in terms of the with the academy kids. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, was, it was pretty basic. We sort of we sort of sat down and, and discussed well, what bilateral movements do they need to be able to do? So we we started off with obviously your, your standard bodyweight squat. Um, things like it, you're trying to manufacture a deadlift when you don't really want to load them. So it was almost like pick pick a dumbbell up off the floor and just make sure make sure they're in a good position. Make sure they've got a good back position. Make sure. They they've got good good angles I suppose and it it's a it's a little bit a lot of guys probably find it quite boring but it, it's pretty pretty it's pretty satisfying when they actually when something clicks and they, and they do it so we had the bilateral stuff um, a lot of single leg balance and stability work so it was your standard single leg squats um, push ups it's amazing how many guys can bench a lot but can't really do a lot of push ups um, and then pull so. It was either doing a sort of supine row, or you just you just tell them do, let's let's see you do a chin up, and it was it sort of started around that, and you base you're just doing derivatives of that twice a week. Uh, there's there's always things where I think you have to you have to load kids at, at at some point, and if you want to be able to see if they can cope with doing something overhead, you can't just get them to do body weight. You either have to give them a dowel or a 2.55 kilo dumbbell and just see what's going on. Um, opens your eyes to quite a lot of stuff because a lot of kids these days turn up in, in very, not, not bad condition, but they've they've just spent so much time sat behind a desk or on an iPad. They just, they don't seem to have the movement skills that probably, makes me sound old now, that probably we did when we were sort of 14 years old. Um, and yeah, we I, I sort of, I was chatting I was chatting to the Academy coaches probably a year ago now and about a sort of about this subject and I sort of jokingly said our entry requirement for being able to go in the gym should be we should have a tree outside the gym and if you can't climb the tree you're not allowed in the gym. And I said it sort of off the cuff, but you, you sort of think of what what actually needs to be Done to be able to, to pull yourself up a tree and climb a tree. It probably it actually probably ticks quite a lot of boxes. You have to be able to jump. You have to be able to pull. You have to be able to manoeuvre your body into probably awkward positions. So, I'm I'm all up for that. If if we can get a tree outside every academy training ground and, and teach them to climb trees, then yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty happy with that.
0: So so, did you have any um, input into? Obviously, these lads are coming coming to you from school. So yeah, they're coming at Thirteen, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. They're doing two sessions a week with you. Did you have any input in what they did at their respective schools? Did you know? Did do, do coaches go into these schools from um, Yorkshire? Didn't okay.
1: They, when I think when when I first started, they didn't, and uh, fair fairly early on, it became quite apparent that a lot of a lot of these guys were doing a lot of activity. So it was all it was almost like they've, they've done so much already. What, what can we do that's going to cause the minimum amount of damage almost, do you know what I mean? To, yeah. to a group of players who have probably, probably train rugby three or four times a week. Some of them were playing twice a week as well. So even at age sort of 13, 14, you got, a, it was almost a case of trying to educate them about you, you need to have a day off in between a game of rugby and, and training and, and all this, and we we started doing sort of an activity tracker with this this young group. Uh, I think it was that I started in the February. We start we started doing it over the summer, so it was pretty standard. We we made made an Excel sheet, and they basically had to put in the minutes and and a standard RPE sort of thing, what they'd done, and they probably they probably were doing a, a little bit less than we thought they were doing. Um. But then there was the odd one or two. We had one, one kid who was, and it was it was pre-season, and it's it's not your standard first-team pre-season. They were, they were still in twice a week, and they were still doing either some sort of resistance training and rugby skills. But one kid was playing for Yorkshire County, under-14s or something, and his, his activity minutes for the one week, I think I remember he'd done 1,400 minutes. Jeez. Which, yeah, which was, uh, it was, it was quite substantial for... Uh, for for a young lad so yeah i think it was we had we didn't have anyone going into the schools then and i think it was more of a case of us like i said trying to it was it was damage limitation from our end while still trying to get the skills into them and sort of teach them these movement competency skills that they needed um and just educating them around if you've played a game of rugby on a Friday, you shouldn't really be doing much on on a Saturday, in terms of we probably you should probably shouldn't be playing another game of rugby. You probably shouldn't be going to the gym or running up hills, and it, it, it's challenging because of, you don't want to you don't want to tell kids at the age of thirteen or fourteen to stop playing other sports they like playing because the, the chances of actually making it as a professional athlete probably in any sport at age. From age thirteen or fourteen, are probably quite slim. So, you, you want them to play other sports and have a chance to do other things as well. But at the same time, you, you probably feel a bit selfish in that you want them to you want them to commit to your program. But I think it's just sort of
0: fulfilling your own ego a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a point that was echoed in um, Kia from Rugby Strength Coaches podcast yeah. recently. I can't remember who it was with. Um, I mean Tom Farrow, I'm not quite sure. um and he was saying that they had a, a kid, a couple of kids who were exactly the same, and they did like an activity tracker, and they were doing horrendous amounts of um of rugby and I think they got all the kind of um influential people in the room, his mom, um, his dad, people the other coaches, and basically no one was willing to budge yeah. on actually um you know decreasing the amount of work this kid was doing, so it was Kia and the wasps academy that took the hit yeah it's like right okay if no one else is going to do it we're going to have to do it so it was really minimizing what he did at their club and biting the bullet saying yeah he's not going to commit to the program fully um but overall for the next couple of months the kid's going to be better off it better better for it
1: yeah i mean we there's there's one guy that springs to mind and he he is now i think he's like under 18 200 meter champion and I, i think there's a stat. I think only I think only Usain Bolt has run faster than him in 200 meters of that age group ever, which is which is quite impressive. But we we had this lad at the club, and he was he was shredding up every single every single track meet he went to. And it was we, we had a similar situation. Like we we were doing the rugby with him. He was doing everything with us. And then it sort of came to a head. where it Was like, well, you're probably better off. Concentrating on the track and getting to rugby once a week, once a fortnight, just to keep showing your face. And in the end, it turned out he was so good at athletics that he sort of took the took the decision to 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 pursue that. And I don't think anyone sort of no one judged him for it because he's so good. But it's it's probably a case that the doors always open. He's 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 that fast. He could probably walk into any seven squad now because. He's, no one's got a chance of catching him
0: mm. well so yeah on, on the flip side of that I was speaking to a, a pal who works at um, a football club not far not far away yeah. <clears throat> and they because they've got no money and there's quite a lot of academy academies round about who have got better facilities better reputation etc so all the all the decent kids seem to disappear into them but so what they're doing now is going to schools you know, getting really pally with the head teachers, whether it's yeah, primary yeah. school, secondary school, and saying, which of your kids are the best athletes that don't play football? And then going about it that way, and then getting them in and doing multi-sport sessions at the club rather than football, and just watching these kids play basketball, play rugby, and then going, have you thought about playing football? Because you could be all right. So going about it the other way, rather than bringing the kids in and letting them do everything else, yeah. just letting them do everything else, and then going... Hey, it's football. Do you fancy that? So going about it a complete other way.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I yeah, I quite I quite like the sound of that. It's a bit yeah. it's a bit money ball, isn't it? Yeah, totally. We'll, totally. We'll we'll find guys that have got attributes that are probably going to be helpful and and see if they're any good. But yeah, that's if you if you if you don't have the facilities or the money and everyone wants to go somewhere else, that's probably the best.
0: No, no it's answer, isn't it? And it seems to be working and actually yeah. getting the kids in to to the training ground and not actually playing football. They're actually loving it because they were just playing basketball, playing rugby, and then just every now and again they chuck a football in and go, Oh, you you know, actually, he's all right. And then kind of going from there. But that that was interesting. Um, But just um, going on to your your PhD. Yeah. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about what the PhD is about and actually um, juggling that with work at the same time?
1: Yeah. um, I think my PhD is currently titled. Um, anthropometric and physical characteristics of junior rugby union players uh, and the relationships to match play. So it's a bit of a mouthful, um, but we did it. We did it so we could sort of we could get a grasp on the sort of development that was going on, like the full physical development of, of an academy rugby player. Um, first off, and then try and try and see how much these sort of physical attributes actually contribute to how well you play on the pitch because i know you you were at an academy weren't you? i was yeah at some point yeah, yeah. so the people set standards they say well we want you to run we want you to run this far on the yo-yo test or this far on this test and like when you're younger or when you're a very new coach, think yeah, that makes sense, and then you get a little bit older, and you think, well, where where have they pulled that number from? Like a good example, I've got a friend who works in county cricket, and their their standard for the yo-yo for everyone is two thousand meters. And I asked him, I said, where have they? Why? And he was like, I don't know. I said, and he, he he asked he asked a few guys, and he was like, yeah, no one could tell me. So it, it's sort of. <laughs> We, we've done it we've we did we've done a fair we've done a fairly what seems uh over the top testing battery this year we've done uh your standard height body mass uh skin folds so l- luckily i didn't have to do the skin folds because we've had between 67 and 100 kids in the academy at any one time this year so we did we did the, we did those sort of basic anthropometrics we did We've done counter movement jump, which is sort of standard across the literature in in every sport. Everyone does a jump. Um, We did we did that. We we got a portable force plate, so you could you could start looking a little bit deeper into sort of jump characteristics. So you get you get peak force and velocities and peak power. Um, We've done we did sprint testing. So we just did linear linear sprint. So we did forty meters. We had um, timing gates at. 5 10 20 and 40 metres to sort of try and get a bit more of a breakdown of of where things are happening so do the younger guys accelerate quicker do the older guys accelerate quicker because no one knows you just assume that the older guys are probably quicker the younger guys might be a bit slower um, we did from that we we did velocities from the splits we did uh, acceleration across each split we did we looked at momentum um and then obviously we had time as well. We did, we've we done um, strength testing. So we, we did that. We, we have three age groups. So we've got that JDS squad, which is sort of 13 up to sort of 16. They didn't do any strength testing. It was just, you can do the running, you can do the anthropometric stuff, and then you're done. The older guys did, they did we did front squat, mainly because we were a bit more comfortable with them doing that. Um, is probably a little bit safer. We deemed it to be a bit safer. So we did three RM front squat. We did three uh, RM bench. Um, we did split squat initially for both left and right leg. Um, we did chin up and we did prime row. So it, even like the, the strength testing battery was a bit hardcore because it took it took two sessions to do. Um, and then on top of that, we did a yo yo test. Um, and we did uh, Martin Boucher's 30:15 test. So from that, you can you can prescribe training, your tr- high intensity running. So it was a case of do we do we do the yo yo? Do we carry on using the yo yo that just gives us a number, but we can't actually use? Or do we do the 30:15, which gives us a number, but you can use to help to to actually train the guys? Um, and then we did isometric mid-flight pull as well, and we did that with we did that with every age group. Um and that was the testing battery. Uh we've we've collected GPS data from some games as well, and then we're sort of looking to try and try and see if there's any association between the sort of testing data and, and the GPS stuff that we get from the games. So that's currently where I am at the minute. Um yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a pretty hardcore year. Balancing balancing all the testing We we've tested guys four times across the year to try and get try and get an understanding of what happens across a season but then trying to actually write the phd and coach and and manage players is it's it's been uh, it's, it's been tough at times but uh, i think in the long run it's going to be it's going to be worthwhile for probably me and for hopefully a lot of a lot of rugby players because everything we're doing and everything i'm geared towards doing is making it all practical so if i find that abc does this and actually has massive
0: practical application then i'll, I'll be pretty happy with that mm-hmm. so so as we were talking about before is it is it a situation where to be a professional you know a high level rugby player you need these attributes or is it just a situation uh, a case of just happens that these guys who are the best are the strongest and the quickest as well um yeah, that that is it's quite an
1: interesting one, and in what we discussed before, isn't it? I mean, to for me, especially Academy, to be the best rugby player, you just have to be the best rugby player. Do you know what I mean? And uh, like we said before, there's uh, there's there's that that Dan Baker study where he's looked at the um, the strength characteristics of guys from NRL and sort of semi-professional all the way through down to untrained like high school kids and he he did some strength testing and obviously the NRL guys are massively stronger than everyone else pretty much more powerful uh, and the younger guys are obviously weaker because for a num probably for a number of reasons they might not have ever trained before they might only have a few months training history um etc and he he's quoted as saying that it's the most misinterpreted piece of research that he ever wrote because he said he published it and people people suddenly sort of think well actually if I'm if I'm at high school and I want to play rugby league I actually I actually have to be benching this much from this paper and it's he openly said that that wasn't the intention of the paper at all it was just to, just to demonstrate that guys who reached the NRL. End up stronger than everyone else, and the, and this the, and the, there's a progression of strength as you go from one playing level to the other. Whether that whether whether or not you deselect people, and it just so happens that the best guys you keep are the best athletes as well, or the fact that the guys who are stronger as you sort of get older end up looking better on the pitch because they're more more dominant than everyone else. I don't know, but. I think it's it's pretty dangerous to start to start setting numbers for especially young kids, um, and like we said before, just if you want to be the best rugby player at an academy age group, just be the best rugby player. Everything else will take care of itself as long as as long as you've got good people supporting you. If you've got good coaches, good S and C coach, and you're getting educated about how to train, how to eat, how to recover. The rest of it should take care of itself in the long run. I think I think a lot of academy kids probably sometimes get a bit fixated on the on the physical side when actually just try and be the best rugby player. And the rest of
0: it, like I said, should should take care of itself. Mm-hmm. So in rugby in rugby union, is there a a need for for you guys to to test as in in, in football as the EPPP the Elite Performance Player Performance Pathway? where every every club has to do a certain amount of testing a certain number of times a year is that the case in rugby I don't know I
1: think it's interesting because you probably speak if you probably rang up six different academies I think everyone would be doing some of the things very very similar but would be doing a lot of different a lot of different testing like for me I think in the long run if if the RFU want to be want to be bringing through guys and understand what's going on. I don't see why you wouldn't have like a minimum standard of testing for for an academy. Say, even if it was as simple as doing a sprint test, a running test, whether or not it's a yo-yo or a thirty-fifteen, 15 um, and maybe maybe two strength tests, so an upper body and a lower body, and just say that we that's the minimum standard we require so we know what's happening sort of, like m- across all the academies in the country and then if you want to do anything else knock yourselves out i know i know for a fact that um at least in new zealand and i think it's i don't know if it's just senior teams they they have a database of all their all their testing so i, th- I don't know if it's it must be a central thing um but all the testing results get fed into into one database and i, I think no one's going to argue they probably well they're the best rugby team in the world um and I think if if you understand what's going on across your whole country in terms of physical development maybe maybe you can make things better and that that's the whole point of us us being there you want you want to be able to give kids the opportunity to progress through the academy and ideally you want them to at least play senior rugby for your for your team and whether or not they end up playing for England or a Premiership rugby club or the Lions is well, that's that's probably a bit a bit beyond our, our scope as academy S and C coaches. But that's the sort of it's the sort of long term plan that everyone wants. And yeah, I don't see why why
0: people wouldn't want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you mentioned the uh, the Martin Boucher thirty fifteen with regards to transferring to actual practice. Obviously, that is uh, transferring to practice. But is any other of your testing actually influencing what is going on, you know, day to day?
1: Um, the thirty fifteen, we like, we we used it and we 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 uh, we programmed, we programmed our running off that. In terms of in terms of the rest of it, at the minute, and it sounds a bit bad because as a coach, you probably don't really want to be doing loads of stuff that doesn't necessarily have massive transfer. Um. Not massively. I mean, you'd you'd strength test guys anyway, so you can so you can set rough targets for weights. I mean, we don't want to be totally rigid in what we give them, but you'd you'd want to know if you're if you can only bench press one hundred for three, you're not going to set someone one hundred and five for three. So we we obviously we've used that. Um, The sprinting stuff's been quite interesting. Um, You can't necessarily use it to influence practice as such, but. Just, just the fact that on on time alone, that like guys don't seem to be getting faster. So if if you just take the, the actual elapsed time of their forty meter sprint, but then you actually you look at the actual splits, um, older guys run faster, they hit higher velocities, um, and they can accelerate for longer. So they're they're still accelerating when they when they go between that twenty and forty meters. Our younger guys and I was at a conference where Martin Boucher was uh, was over in Dublin a couple of weeks ago and he he said something similar he'd seen in football is younger guys accelerate rapidly, hit top speed and then can't maintain it. And that's exactly the same thing we saw with our with our kids. So whether or not whether or not that's something that we can influence, whether or not we actually spend more time doing structured speed training with those younger kids so so they can make the step up and can can easily fit into that under 18 sort of rugby or whether or not that's just part and parcel of maturation and development we, we don't know at the minute um that's interesting um that's probably it. i mean the isometric pull is interesting it mass it discriminates between every, every age group that we have um but then you you'd expect the under 16s so the kids at 14 to 16 to be a lot weaker than the guys who've got four years of weight training. So yeah, it, 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 it tells a very, it tells a basic story, but at the minute, like like I said, when we talk about the actual PhD, we, we collected so much to try and sort of filter out the bullshit. Do you know what I mean? And then our, our testing next year is going to be a little bit more streamlined, but I think that the speed stuff is very, very interesting. Um, and then yeah, I think there's there, there's potential for the isometric pull to be interesting. It's just getting your head around all the numbers that come out of the of the force play and trying to work out what that actually means.
0: Mm-hmm. So so just going on to the 3015 again. I'd be interested to know how you deal with them deal with that kind of number that you you that pops out at the end of the test so you can actually um use it to to program the conditioning side of things. How do, you, how do you go how do you go about that and what's it kind of look like through the season
1: um have you have you ever have you ever run it or used it i have yeah 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 so you, you, like the obvious end you get an end speed of nineteen point five kilometers or twenty kilometers per hour um and pretty there's there's a couple of ways that we have used it um if you email Martin Boucher, he's pretty he's pretty accommodating. Will send you his he sends you his MP3 of, of the track. He sent also sends you a he can send you a spreadsheet where you can put everyone's numbers in. Um, and then from that decide on your work rest ratios based off uh, prescriptions that he sort of advised on, which are on that spreadsheet uh, and and intensities. So we we didn't actually do that last year, and it's something that something that i sort of i was a i was a little bit at fault for um we we got the speed and in in all his literature he says the end speed's roughly 120% of your of your max aerobic speed so we sort of tried to work out what 100% mas was and then sort of work up from that so we we started doing we we did we'd work at 100% mas 105 up to 110 and we only we only really used it in pre season because in season there's just no opportunity but I think the beauty of it is it's fairly easy to run once 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 you've done it once with a group of players and you know how you know how to market and you know how to actually run the test it's it's very easy to run you can you can prescribe training for However many guys you got, if if you've got fifty people in a first team, you, all you have to do is is line up lanes for different speeds, um, and and I like it because you can use it, and I I understand that the yo yo is useful because it, it 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 says who can run the longest, who who can tolerate the most high intensity running, but the fact that you can't actually do anything with it, it I have a little bit of a of a problem with, and I think. I don't know i I think a lot of clubs were probably moving more towards using a thirty fifteen test or something that gives you a rough m a s rather than doing a yo yo um but we we found it it worked quite well um but guys generally within the academy there's not there's not much difference at all across age groups in terms of even the end speed on that so that's that's probably another pretty interesting in finding it itself. You've got kids who are fourteen running the same speed as kids who are twenty twenty-one, but you take into account the fact that twenty-one-year-olds fifty kilos heavier,
0: then yeah. they're ultimately a lot fitter. So, so you, you talk about using it in pre-season. So, w- w- would you use a, a low percentage of MAS and then build up towards your towards your season, or how how would that, how would that look?
1: yeah i mean the the way that the way that I used it last year we had i think we had six weeks where we had planned running and then it sort of because we we like the first team guys made playoffs last year and um, so our preseason was a lot shorter than it than it will be this year so I think we had six weeks of um six weeks of running where it was conditioner planned running and then we sort of went into. Um, like game week, so we had we had a warm up game against Leeds met we had a I think there was a warm up game against Gloucester, and then we were into the season so the way that the way we did it in the academy was because this' is the first time we'd ever done it, and the guys that I work with are, are the senior academy guys, so they they train with the first team, so I was sort of sat within their sessions doing their conditioning while the first team guys were doing something a little bit different but um we basically started at 100 percent or what what we'd sort of worked out was going to be a rough hundred percent MAS. Um mainly because the guys never used it before, they've never done MAS running. And it's something we're probably a little bit guilty of and probably a lot of guys will admit to. It's more of a case of in the academy, run to that line and back six times and <laughs> then you get a minute off. Yeah. Um but we started up we did we did hundred percent to start with. Um and we did work to rest ratios of 1 to 1 um we we, we we manipulated the uh actual rest time in that in that second week so we kept it 100% and just half the rest time so we were doing a lot more work in that 4 minute block um and then pulled it back to 1 to 1 work to rest and 105% so it, it sort of it undulated a little bit it it if you graphed it it probably looked like a a weight training program in terms of volume intensity sort of fluctuated quite a lot. Um, but we actually ended up, we ended up actually manufacturing, I think something like 190 meters per minute in the, in the toughest block of running. And I mean, it's, it's not, it's not there to manufacture meters per minute or or meters per second. It, the test is there to sort of be able to prescribe based off energy systems, but unless you've got a heart rate monitor on someone and you're taking bloods, we don't really know what's going on. So in the end, we, we did what we did and then look back and actually we thought, well, if you can tolerate running 193 meters per minute for four minutes, you're probably fairly well prepared for what's to come. Um, I mean, we, I've just been at an RFU thing the last couple of days and they were talking about similar sort of stuff. So they called it kill zone. So guys, it's doing repeat high-intense efforts, and he said, "I think the longest one they've ever had in in, a, in an England game is 12 minutes." They were basing it off heart rate, so again, we've got no idea. We don't we don't have the facilities to have heart rate and GPS on everyone at the minute, so we we have to use the little 100, 193 meters per minute. If you can tolerate that, then it's faster than any of our any of our blocks that the senior guys played in, in a game. I think for the last two years. So if you can manufacture that sort of running for a number of guys, then you're sort of hoping they're prepared for the worst case
0: scenario. And if they can tolerate it, they they're likely going to be fit enough. Mm-hmm. Cool. That no, sounds good. So just just one last thing. Um, I know you got some props for your, the setup of your isometric mid-thigh pull mm-hmm. from yeah. there. Nice little shout out for you. Um, but like I'm sure you did uh, last year at the UKCA. SCA, um, heard greg half speak about it i mean it was probably been very interesting to you but um i never used it and was was probably never at that point in time thinking this isn't this isn't really applicable to me at this time so it kind of went over my head a little bit but do you just want to talk to us a little bit about you know why you use it what kind of numbers it does pump out um and why you chose it for your um as part of your phd
1: yeah i mean if you remember at UKSCA, he absolutely shot someone down for posting yeah. a picture on Twitter. Yeah, he did. Yeah, saying up built wrong, and that was actually my mate. Oh right, <laughs> so good. i I I'd, I'd posted it, and it's my mate on the with my pull doing it totally wrong. <laughs> so that that was good feedback before we started testing. Um, but that the I think the the beauty of it for a lot of the work that he he has done is that it's massively transferable. Say. So <clears throat> he's done it with weightlifters, so obviously, you expect someone who does weightlifting as their full-time sport. The numbers that they churn out on that are probably going to be fairly predictive of performance. So in terms of peak forces, like I think you look at one of his papers. I think there's, I think he's, I think he's only got six six Olympic weightlifters, but based on how they ranked and how they scored, the guys with the highest peak force, I'm fairly sure, were the guys who ranked top in the actual lift. So you clean and jerk and snatch. So for them, massively transferable. Um, Again, they've done it in sprint cycling. And I think the way, the way that you set it up with the angles of your hip and knee pretty much manufactures the position of your leg in that, in the bottom of your downstroke on the bike. So they're saying that if, if you can produce massive force, whether it be double leg or single leg in that position, there's, there's probably a good chance that you're going to be able to to turn that wheel pretty quick and, and get around the track nice and quickly. Um, the, reason, the reason that we did it was because we wanted a force plate anyway for to do a bit more accurate uh, jump measures. Um and it it sort it just so happened the company we bought it from uh they made like an isometric mid-thigh pull rig that was portable. Um and we'd sort of we sort of had a look at it and we read that there's a paper in Rugby League and they'd they'd done mid thigh pull and correlated it with uh, sprint performance and jump and said actually you, you based off of this you might not need to um, do sprint testing or jump testing if you if you know if you're confident in the numbers that you churn out that basically there's a massive association between rate of force development at say 200 milliseconds and 10 meter sprint speed if if you can, if you can pull that and and get that score, maybe you don't have to do sprint speed. And I mean, for me, I think that's wrong. Um, I'm not sure, I'm not sure you can ever really say, well, if you can pull, if you can pull 4,000 newtons on here, you're going to be able to deadlift 300 kilos because you might be a horrific movie. You might, you might be unstable. You might have poor mobility, but, um, we ended up getting one and testing them and, it it's quite interesting like the, the guys across the age groups everyone got everyone got higher scores so they're basically <clears throat> they're pulling more put peak forces so they're stronger um and I, I was talking with my supervisors about it and it's whether or not it actually dis- it, the say pull discriminates between age but it probably doesn't massively transfer to their dynamic strength. So we've we've got guys we've got guys in the in the senior academy who can pull four thousand newtons on it, which is a lot of kilos. Um, but then you actually you actually ask them to go through some weightlifting movements, and, and not even not even Olympic lifting. So ask ask them to do a squat. Ask them to do um, a deadlift some of them are really competent some guys are really good other guys you can pull the same number on it and they're absolutely atrocious atrocious movers and <clears throat> i think i at, at the minute i see it as if you can pull a big number on it that's that's your that's your current strength potential so that you have the potential to be that strong in a full body movement um or you have the potential to be very strong in a full body movement because it is full body um but then, like i said if you if you pull someone off two guys and they both pull four thousand Newtons on it, one guy could be unbelievable in the gym other guy could be horrific and it might be a case that he's he's had he has the ability to be strong he is strong, but he has like i said stability and mobility issues that limit him massively and limit his dynamic strength so it's it's a tough one at the minute and like and like I said we did we did so much testing to try and filter out the uh, the rubbish, and at the minute, I do like it because you can distinguish between guys and and for our younger guys, you can. We we've tracked them across the year, and the younger guys have got stronger just based off mid thigh pull. So you could you could quite easily say then, yeah, if it goes up, you are stronger, and you see them in the gym they, they they're starting to lift heavier weights, they're doing better. But then, I think at some point it probably tops out in its usefulness and transfer. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very interesting. Well, I've kept you for over 40 minutes now and we chatted for about 45 minutes beforehand. So. Yeah, we did. Uh, um, so what I'll do, what I'll do is just get you to, to tell everyone where you can, um, where people can get in touch with you and keep in touch with what's going on. So your, your Twitter, your Facebook, you know, and future plans that you've got. Yeah. Um, I'm not,
1: I'm not cool enough to have my own independent Facebook page, so I don't have that. But I do have Twitter. Uh, my Twitter name is at J underscore Daryl underscore Jones. Um, I don't really actually tweet that much anymore, uh, which is... Too busy, uh, mate. Too busy. Pink yeah, part and parcel of doing the PhD. There's, there's a lot of retweets and favourites that I never actually get to look at. Um, <clears throat> But then, I don't know, future plans. Probably I've got another... Almost two years of the PhD left. I'm only I'm, I'm a year and three months into it at the minute, so I've got to finish that up. Um, and then I'm sort of I'm sort of hoping the way the way it goes that there's there there is there's going to be either an academy role somewhere. I'd, I'd like to head up an academy and actually sort of put put what we've done into practice. Um, or <laughs> I don't know. I, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having something to do with like like we discussed setting up sort of a, a minimum standard testing battery for the RFU. I I don't know. I don't know what their thoughts on it are, but that's that's another avenue that could be interesting. Um, and then obviously with a PhD, there's always the chance of doing a little bit more research alongside being a practitioner. And I think I think that's probably almost the way <clears throat> a lot of guys will end up going. Um, 'Cause like we were saying, you can't be an SNC coach when you're fifty five years old. So keep keep my hand in the research pot a little bit, but I I do want to carry on working with working with youth athletes, whether that's in rugby or another sport, it's it's not a massive issue, but I get more satisfaction out of coaching than I do of uh, reading research
0: papers at the minute. <laughs> yeah. Understandable. Yeah. But there is there is one guy that still is an S and C coach at fifty five. Actually, I think he's like ninety five, but we we'll, yeah. won't we'll, we'll go into that anyway <laughs> um, so I'll just thank you for your time and um, thanks for chatting to us and uh, it, was, it was really good to, to hear about the things you're doing yeah cheers Rob thank you very much mate speak okay, to okay mate you too see, see, see you awesome. mate right. bye. bye thanks for tuning in to episode 36 the Pacey Performance Podcast if you want to check out all the show notes with all the links that I've uh, discussed in the episode along with Josh shoot over to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 36 you can also follow me on twitter at pacey perform and you will get all the information with regards to when podca- podcasts come out and which guests are involved um, on twitter and i will see you in episode 37